Good morning, brethren. I hope all of you have had a wonderful Feast of Tabernacles, and I'm sure you did. I know all of us would agree this morning that what we've heard the last seven days, the whole world needs it. They need a new government. They need new laws. They need a new life, a new way, a system. So we are grateful and thankful that God has given us the opportunity to be here together on His feast day, an invitation by God. And this is my 48th Feast of Tabernacles, and I learn more each year as I keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Mr. Armstrong just asked a question at each feast, why are you here? He wanted us to be sure that we understand the purpose of God, why God had called us, and what plan He was working out for each one of us personally. It's not God's will that any should perish. God wants to save everybody who obeys Him and gives them life. And so we're here today to learn a little bit more about God's plan of salvation. Now, this feast that we're observing now is a different feast altogether from one we just observed that ended last evening. Now, God has given us special ability to understand His great plan of salvation. Not that we deserve it. God selected us for that purpose. We read this in Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus was asked by His disciples... The question his disciples posed to Christ, how come you, why do you speak to them in parables? And Christ answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given. For whomever he has, uh, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, as Jesus quoting the prophecy of Isaiah. But verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. So God has given us a special eyesight and special understanding to understand spiritual things out of the Scriptures that no other person can understand unless that person has been called by God. So this feast, the last great day that we're observing today, is a different feast altogether than the one we just observed this past seven days. This is a special feast for special people. And it's a special event that God has planned for the last great day. And we're all looking forward to that wonderful time that lies ahead that when this event is fulfilled. Now, God has labeled this feast as the last great day, but all of God's feasts are great. Now, this is the last of God's plan for mortal man. Now, it's not God's will that any should perish, as we know that. So let's take a look in, back in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23, as God outlines His plan of salvation or the holy days in the Scriptures. In verse 39, Leviticus 23, Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the eternal for seven days. On the first day there should be a Sabbath rest. And on the eighth day, it's talking about the eighth day here, a solemn rest. So it doesn't say too much about this day in Leviticus 23, except on the eighth day, or the eighth day of the feast, it shall be a solemn rest. So Nehemiah then 
kept the feast of the eighth day. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 18. Also day by day, for the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a, a sacred assembly, or assembly according to the prescribed manner. So we see here these two examples of an eight-day feast that God had ordained. Now, brethren, there is hope for all who die. Jesus said, it's not his will that any should perish. We all know John 3:16 when God said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not create one single individual to perish. It's God's will that all, that all be saved. But it's up to the individual. God will give eternal life to those who obey him, those who want to live with him forever. And God's whole purpose then is to build supreme character in us so we can become a supreme being that God can share his power, his wealth and glory to all mankind or his sons throughout eternity. In Acts chapter 4, if we turn to Acts 4, the apostle Peter preaching said, There is no other name given under heaven where man must be saved. That's Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, not in Mohammed, not in Allah, not in Buddha, only in Jesus Christ, that name. There is no other name under heaven given among men, which we must be saved, as the Bible said. So it's God's will then to save everybody, but in his time order, not in our time order, but in his time order. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, the Apostle Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21, he says here, For since man came death, by man also came the resurrection of death. Adam introduced death in the human family. It is appointed then for man once to die, but after that is the judgment. So by man, by Adam, making that decision, we all die. For in Adam all die, even so, verse 22, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, in Christ that same all, the same all that died, will be made alive in Christ. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father. When he puts... And the end to all rule and authority and power, as the Bible shows. So God has a time order, and we see it through these holy days of the time of salvation for certain certain groups. Now, in First Timothy chapter two, Timothy expounds a little bit more about this time order. In verse three of ten. First Timothy chapter 2, For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. See, that's God's desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth or the overview. At least come to understand what God's plan is for them and where they can accept it and live by it so God can give them eternal life, that they may live with Him forever. For there is one God... One mediator between God and men, 
the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. See? To be testified. Now is our time. He'll be testified during the millennium and also the last great day in that time, as uh, the Apostle Paul is bringing out here. Now, Acts chapter 17, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 17, Acts 17, verse 19. And he was talking about to the unknown God in verse 23. To the unknown God, therefore the one whom you worship, Paul said, without knowing him I proclaim to you. God is who made the world and everything in it, since he, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life. So God here again, Paul is showing that this unknown God that the Greeks did not know is the one who gives life. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the eternal in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of you, your own poets have said, we are all... We are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offsprings of God, we are not to think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooks, but now commands all men, see, all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom they did not know to the unknown God, that Jesus Christ is the judge in righteousness. He's been appointed that. And all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as the Bible uh, depicts that. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, the Apostle Paul writing uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. If you turn with me there, Hebrews 9, verse 27. As in, it is appointed for man once to die. See, no matter, every human being is going to die. It's, a, it's an appointment. But after this, he says, the judgment. After this. Now, judgment is not a sentencing. That we are being judged now. The church of God is being judged. As First Peter brings this out. If you notice First Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So therefore, let all those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. So God's people, God's church, all of us here today at the feast are being judged. Now, if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. So we are in a period of judgment of ourselves, and we're accepting God's truth in our lives. We're accepting His direction. We're accepting the correction, learning how to become a son of God. We may live with Him forever 
and ever. So that's the judgment. It's not a sentencing on the church. It's a judgment. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, if we go back to Matthew 10, we can see then uh, judgment on these nations. Uh, the Bible speaks about in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. Surely I say to you, it be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment in the, for that city. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah has not been judged. This day pictures to us the time when they will be resurrected for their judgment. Now, will they be resurrected in the land where they died, Sodom and Gomorrah? Will that be where they will be resurrected and dealt with? And so Jesus here is showing that the people who rejected his disciples, that was teaching the truth, teaching them about him, and rejected that. He said, and the judgment is going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah and other, and other countries as well. <clears throat> now, some say that we preach a second chance. I've often heard people say, Armstrong, second chance. We never preach a second chance. God only gives us one opportunity one opportunity to qualify for eternal life. We don't earn it. We earn the reward. And God has given us that opportunity, not a second chance. So man has a, such a wrong concept of God and who God is. How misunderstood God is. People don't understand. They're taught about God by the precepts of man. Isaiah 29. If we go back to Isaiah 29... The book of Isaiah 29. Now, the verse 13 of Isaiah 29, verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from, from, from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. And I was taught, probably you were, in the Protestant churches where I grew up, if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. And so I was taught to fear God, not by what the Bible says, but what man said about God. Because they didn't know God. I didn't know God until God called me. And you didn't know God until God called you and opened your mind. He began to help you to see who He is and what He is and what a great God He is according to the Scriptures here. So he's showing here that the, Isaiah that the precepts of God, man, you know, his taught about the precepts of God, about the fear of God as well. So billions and billions and billions and billions of people have died without ever knowing at all about this God that we're talking about. So this day pictures their opportunity to get to know this God that we're talking about, that you and I are worshiping. And we sit here this morning in His divine presence. And what an honor that is for us to understand that. Being trained in His, in His truth so we can help others when they are, when they are brought up for their judgment. So God is, has all power. And there is nothing too hard for God. And people have forgotten that. Even we, brethren, must remember that God has all power. And nothing is too hard for Him. Let's just... Notice two or three scriptures on that. Turn back to Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis 18. 
Genesis 18, when God was talking to Abraham that he was going to have a son. And, uh, you know, Sarah laughed. And so God made this comment in Genesis 18, verse 9. I'm almost there. Genesis 18, verse 9. It says, uh, And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, uh, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? saying, Surely I shall bear a child since I am old. Is anything too hard for the eternal? So that's the question. Do you know of anything too hard for God? Is anything that God can help you with? Is anything you can through, do through Christ which strengthens you, as the Apostle Paul said? This is the God of the church. This is the God of His plan. This is the God of the holy days that we serve and learn more and more about. In Jeremiah, if we turn to Jeremiah, verse 32, Jeremiah 32, let me just find the correct verse here, verse 17, Jeremiah 32. O eternal God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Is there nothing too hard for you? There's the question again. Now, verse 27 of Jeremiah 32, Behold, I am the eternal, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? What about your problems you're struggling with? Is anything too hard for God that God can't help us with it? When we're sick, is there anything too hard for God that He cannot heal our bodies? There is nothing impossible with God. God said He cannot lie. He's not a liar. He cannot lie. And we have to put our faith in this power and this God who says there's nothing impossible with Him. Now, Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. When the angel was talking to, to Mary, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the eternal, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, and For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And the mercy is on those who fear him. You see, on on those who fear God. Now, verse 37, he's talking about uh, conceiving. He said, for with God, nothing will be impossible. That's hard for the mind to grasp, and I don't think we can as humans grasp how Jesus Christ, the Word, divested Himself of all the power and glory. 
and made himself a sperm and united with with uh, Mary, and he was born the Son of God. Our minds cannot grasp that, but that shows the power and the creativity of God Almighty. And the whole universe out there is waiting on the sons of God, and nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for Him. So He's taken feeble human beings made out of the dirt of the earth to give them great power that they may rule with Him and rule with His universe. What an honor that is, brethren. We can never sell that short. God has called us to that glory, to that power, and we need to keep our eyes always on that power and our calling. So we in God's church understand the purpose of God's plan being worked out here below. We know there is hope for all who die. When people die, we know there is hope for them. Which proves then to us in the church of God that this, the day, is not the only day of salvation. There's coming another day of salvation. It's called the last great day. So man's hope, his only hope, is in the resurrections. As Jesus said, as we turn to John chapter 5, verse 24. John 5, verse 24. John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me, who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So as I read in Matthew 13, that God has blessed us with eyes to see and ears to hear. All we have to do is just keep our eyes open, our ears open for God's truth and live by that truth. And we will not come into judgment. The judgment now is on us, but there is no resurrection judgment for us. There is none. So most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Whereas the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself and has given Him authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel, Jesus said at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves, see, all in Adam die, all in Christ is going to be made alive and will hear His voice. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice. And they follow me. They will hear the voice of the Son of Man coming out of the grave. They'll be called up out of the grave. And they will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation or judgment. As Jesus plainly shows, He is the resurrection. He is the life. And we are to be in Christ and Christ in us for eternal life and to be in that resurrection as well. Now, John chapter 11, when Lazarus had died and Jesus was going up to, to bring him back alive. Now, verse, 20, verse 22, but even now, of John chapter 11, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, see, that's complete faith, isn't it? Whatever you ask of God, I know God is going to give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. As, the, as Jesus is saying, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Whoever lives in Christ and believes in him, he is a savior. There's no other name under heaven given whereby man must be saved and be given life. And he is our hope. So we must want to be in the first resurrection, brethren, because that is the best resurrection. And there is no resurrection of judgment for us. The the first resurrection is the best. Remember, the judgment is on the house of God now. It's on us now. And uh, all we do is be faithful until the end, until Jesus resurrects us into the very family of God. Brethren, let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. And beginning with verse 1, that's Revelation 20, verse 1. A vision that John saw. He said, This I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Of course, that fulfillment takes place on the Day of Atonement, and that's going to be one of the happiest days ever when God sets mankind free from Satan's influence and his demon influence. So he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Then chapter, uh, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or, had, or on their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this resurrection takes place when Christ returns back to this earth. And they will rule with Christ as kings and priests over all the nations for 1,000 years, as we just celebrated that these past seven days. Now, the rest of the dead did not live again until the 1,000 years were finished. So if the rest of the dead lived, that means there's a resurrection. They're not, they don't remain dead, but they don't live until after this 1,000 years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So if there's a first resurrection prior to the thousand years, and there's one after the thousand years, then it shows a second resurrection for the rest of the dead, the people who have never heard of the name Christ, people who were never called in this life. We're talking about billions, and we don't know exactly how many billions we may be talking about. We'll have their opportunity to be taught God's way of life, and we will be there to help them to learn that way of life, and we will teach them the way of life from the Scriptures as we taught it and lived it. So the rest of the dead is, uh, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. In verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of king and shall reign 
with him a thousand years. So it's appointed unto a Christian, all of us, once to die. But the second death, you see, has no control over us. We do not choose. We have a choice to live with Christ forever. And we're making that choice to live with him forever and rule with him forever. We're not choosing to go away from him or go away from God's plan or going away from God's church, but to be with him a thousand years because he is our hope. He's our only hope of going into glory, and he wants us in the, in the body with him to rule as, Jesus, as the Father has put us into the body of Christ. So we're talking about the rest of the dead. At this time, back in 1977, I was given a sermon on the last great day. And after I'd finished the sermon, this individual came up to me after the closing prayer and just stood there. He was hard of hearing, and he just stood there, and all of a sudden he started crying. I mean, he was crying so I, I didn't know if I offended him. I didn't know what to say or what to do, and so I let him cry. Then after he finished, he said, Mr. League, I want to tell you something I've never told anybody else. And when I was a young teenager, I was the most rebellious teenager you've ever seen. I just I did everything opposite of what my daddy told me to do. So I was going to join the Merchant Marines. My daddy tried to talk me out of it. And so my daddy made me so mad that I put my fist right up against his nose and said, I wish you would drop dead. And you know, Mr. League, that my daddy died, fell at my feet and died. I knelt down and grabbed my daddy and hugged him and said, Daddy, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry I didn't mean it. He said he was dead. So I've carried that guilt guilt to me or with me for 35 years but after the day i realized that i'm going to see my daddy again and the first thing i'm going to do when i see him is put my arms around him and tell him i didn't mean it so all of us will have an opportunity to be with our loved ones what a great day this is going to be a day that has a tremendous effect on all of us that last great day now the message for the rest of the dead will be come in John chapter 7, in John chapter 7, on that last great day of the feast, Jesus was saying, John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures had said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water, that they may come and drink of the water of life freely. And that's their message to them in Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22. At the end of the book. He says, And behold, verse 12, I come... Coming quickly, my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, which are outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. 
Now, here's the invitation. The Spirit and the bride says, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Who, whosoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely, as we just read about that in John just a few minutes ago. So the desire is, it's open to you now. Here's the way. Come. See, come. The church says come. The bride says come. That invitation for them to come. In Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> Matthew 11. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you list. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. For you will find... Let me start over that part. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The more we learn who God is, the the light our burdens are. So Jesus here is showing the rest of the dead, come to me and I will give you life. I will find you will find rest in your souls. So that's the Savior giving that invitation to all who come to Christ. It's not God's will, as I mentioned, that any should perish. So if we go back to Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, when God says to Ezekiel, say to them, as I live, says the eternal God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn from turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Here God is almost pleading with the house of Israel to turn from their wicked ways, to accept his way, to learn of him, keep his laws that they may be blessed, and yet they still rebel against God. They would not do what he said, but God has no pleasure in death. He has no pleasure seeing people die. Now, verse uh, 18, verse 23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the eternal God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? You see, brethren, it was Satan who came and brought death, that we may have death more abundantly. God came to give life, life more abundantly. God is the life giver. Satan is the one who gives death. And so Jesus the Lord, uh, is pleading here, uh, the word said, Do I have pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the eternal God, and not that he should turn from his evil way and live? So God wants life. He is the life giver. He wants everybody to live. That is his plan for everybody, that they may live. And he's here pleading with people to come to him that they may have life. Now, Romans chapter 11 <clears throat> In Romans 11, the Apostle Paul is bringing about Israel, and he was talking about, you know, all the house of Israel is going to be saved in God's time. 
So God allowed Israel then to make their own decisions and choices, and he punished them. Uh, the curses fell upon them because they did disobey God. And I'm sure they, in that resurrection that you and I are talking about today, I'm sure then, brethren, they're going to be so happy, so happy to be a part of then God's plan of salvation, to be their time for that plan of salvation. Now, verse 25 says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles had come in. And so all Israel will be saved, and as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the Father. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So God's plan for Israel says here all Israel will be saved. And in the end, that's God's plan for everybody, except if you become incorrigible and you don't want to live forever, then, of course, we go back to dirt from which we came, as the Bible said. So God will receive Israel from the dead. Bones will stand up at that time, as we read here in Ezekiel 37. Turn to Ezekiel 37. When he talks about the bones, I remember that old spiritual song they used to sing, them bones going to rise again, hip bone connect to the thigh bone, and, and so on. So the Lord, verse 1, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? That's the question. Is there anything too hard for God? Is anything impossible for God? So he's asking the question, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know... And again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the eternal. Thus saith the eternal God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will put sin on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know at that time that I am the Lord. You shall know that they have never known the true God as we're learning about him. But that time they will know when they're brought up out of the graves in the fulfillment of this day that we are celebrating today, the last great day of the feast will be their time, be their time for spiritual salvation. And they will know at that time, and everyone will know, that there is a God. I am God, said there is no other God. And all the other gods that people have worshipped all during the ages will realize there's only one God. And that God is the life giver. And he's the one who wants to share eternity eternity with everyone. So he said, you shall know that I am the eternal. So I prophesied as it was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and bones came together. Bone to bone, 
Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, saying to the breath, Thus saith the eternal God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, and they may live. So he's talking about a physical resurrection. People have skin and bones and, and breath of life, the breath. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, and breath came, and then they lived. And they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the eternal God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Remember what Jesus said, I am the resurrection. All that are in the graves shall hear the voice and come forth. We're seeing the fulfillment of this here in Ezekiel chapter 37 when this time comes. Then he said, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I will t place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Eternal, have spoken it and performed it, says the Eternal. And again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick. And he was talking about bringing the Judah and Israel together. But well, we see how God is working out His plan, that He chose a nation through Abraham, and He gave them His laws. They became His nation and they rejected him, and yet God is always patient, and in the end, they're going to be saved. They fulfill, they were supposed to fulfill his purpose, and they didn't. In the end, they will be saved. Just like us, we must want to be there for the second resurrection, to see our loved ones, to see our parents, to see our friends, to see all of our relatives that go all the way back, DNA. What a wonderful opportunity God has given to us in His great plan of salvation. So we need to remember these plan, His plan, these holy days, what they picture to each one of us, that the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, and Trumpets, and the Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day that God has written to us in the Scriptures and given us the holy days to to always remind us of that. So God's plan is a plan, brethren, we never should forget. We need to study it. We need to let it be a part of us. We need to practice and, and be ready for our calling when God gives us that responsibility. I think all of us realize that we're in a job that's not yet. We're in training for something that's not yet. So we have to be trained under God's supervision, learn to live His lifestyle, so we may live with him forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. And the whole universe out there is waiting on the, on the people of God to help. And that's what's such a wonderful plan that God has given to us. And I know God Almighty is going to help us all as we seek him, realizing, remember, there's nothing impossible with him. There's nothing too hard for him. There's no problem you can't overcome if you seek God's help. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to grow in His grace and knowledge. He's pulling for us. The angels are pulling for us. So it's up to each one of us. 
to want to be in the first resurrection so we can be there in the second resurrection. If I'm not there in the first resurrection, there is no second resurrection for me. It would be the third resurrection. So with all of my being and might, I want to remain a faithful steward, a faithful Christian, a faithful son of God, keeping his way as a testimony that his way works. So I hope all of you will have a good afternoon feast. And remember, brethren, if we want to be united with our loved ones, we had better be sure that we qualify for the first resurrection because judgment is on a household of God.